the baltic night from the short story collection open all night by paul moran this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. the baltic night by paul moran the gothic porch was lit by a two hundred candle power lamp i stood for a moment on the opposite pavement people were going in a few men alone and then others who had women with them with a beating heart and in a state of mind that was far from heroic i waited until it seemed that the last person had gone in a flight of uninviting steps led up to a door before which there were a few traces of sawdust in the hall i was assailed by a smell of gas and stale perspiration a small girl in pigtails read my temporary membership card a little parchment hexagon and i entered the men's dressing-room shirts were hanging there emptied of their bodies braces were resting from their labours boots exhibited their heels shod with little india-rubber discs apparently the feet of northern europe had not escaped that wave of american exportation which in the form of calculating machines fly-swatters and dental floss descended upon eastern europe on the morrow of the armistice a nickel shoehorn twinkled in the middle of the room ought i to undress doubtless the notices on the wall said so but how could anyone understand those words with their toad or insect-like faces equipped with feelers and carrying on their backs countless modification signs like pimples and small air balloons i removed my shoes and opened the door a little way though my attire would now have been eminently suitable for a mosque it was obviously not that of the club for there before me were two members in full dress if one could call it that one of them was facing me his back resting against the balustrade a wisp of hair as dry as lichen wandered over his head first sparse promise of the white beard which flowed down to his chest where it became confused like the tangled horsehair which one sees bursting from old sofas and second-hand furniture shops then the hair divided into two regular streaks one on each side of his stomach frothed up again for a moment and meandering down his legs like ivy finished its journey on his feet his companion was facing him and so had his back to me he had bristly black hair and the wires of his gold-rimmed spectacles sparkled behind his ears he too was naked and was waggling his right big toe rhythmically up and down i closed the door again and sat down on a bench the mere fact of undressing and going about naked like the others did not worry me as from my earliest youth i had constantly been to fencing schools athletic and swimming clubs and turkish baths besides i was careful to remind myself in order to gain confidence i was here of my own free will having applied for admission as a foreign member to the diana bund or society of diana without having to go back to the fifteenth century when sex sprang up in bohemia only to be massacred in the end to follow the hussite heresy which declared in favour of the return to a state of adamic nudity as a sure means of getting to heaven i had often heard of teutonic societies whose members assembled together for the sole purpose of living without clothing i had been put on the right track in the course of reading a german magazine for the propagation of nudity a magazine devoted to questions of aesthetics and hygiene to say nothing of eugenics this periodical acquainted me with the fact that devotees 
of that new form of reciprocation the Nachtkultur, existed in the northern european countries an advertisement in the swedish review beauty did the rest persons of both sexes of aryan descent who wish to join a society of which the members are those of beauty are invited to communicate with box seventy eight postrestant at blank affiliations in all northern countries happening a little later to be at blank i wrote to the address given enclosing a stamp for a reply and i duly received a letter-card in which one dr vulpius begged me to state categorically my reasons for wishing to join the society and to give him full particulars of my age profession etc i sent the doctor a declaration of principles modelled on the tone of the review conjuring up the great civilizations of antiquity the festivals of sparta the laws of lycurgus the germania of tacitus and recalling also from the purely medical point of view the benefits of the chemical action of the sun on the skin i was given an appointment for the day after next in the prince alexander room on the first floor of the cafe odin where a conversione and magic lantern display were to take place in the course of which i should be brought before the executive committee it was about seven o'clock in the evening after dinner the cafe looked out over the timber wharf of the town a few norwegian sailing ships with frost-covered yards the sole reminder of the recently melted snow stretched their topmasts to the level of the double windows from which the paper gummed on them for the winter had not yet been scraped an evening breeze tortured the waves as far as the islands which slid in a gentle slope into the sea following the lines of the repairing slips loaded with newly tarred boats glistening with red lead in the setting sun the president whom i knew to be dr vulpius was quite blind and wore black spectacles on a wide expanse of blotchy face flanked by the vice-president and the treasurer s he was solemnly holding forth from the seat of judgment the treasurer s was a fair woman with a face like a tortoise obviously an officer's widow she carried a long net and was surmounted by a hat trimmed with daffodils she favored me with a steady and calculating stare which penetrated me like a knife her thoughts came out and met mine halfway and i realized that my admission depended finally upon this female guardian of the gate i explained myself in english my remarks were translated to a young girl who was hidden from me by a sheet of paper sticking out of her typewriter this stenographer in her turn expressed herself in the local idiom the examination lasted twenty minutes the fact that i was a frenchman produced more interest than sympathy and inspired anything but confidence it is quite understood that you are not impelled by any curiosity of an immoral nature to enter our society we only admit amongst us persons of unimpeachable honesty who are addicted neither to alcoholic drinks nor to theosophy who do not read loose books and who are persons of financial substance the assistant on his right a man in a frock coat of about forty years of age with a red beard and very suave manner closed the interrogatory do you associate with russians or with jews after i produced my passport and furnished a reference the jury deliberated in low tones then the typewriter began to click you will be admitted for two months as soon as you have passed the medical examination you will be given an appointment for this be good enough to step into the waiting-room i rose as the door opened 
the stenographer came in she gave me an envelope and a smile in which i read a favorable verdict all the awkwardness was on my side the fascination of the seriousness the taciturnity and the unaffected actions of these people came over me in a wave my sympathy went out to her immediately she had blue eyes bordered with black lashes level as the edges of a fringe a sympathetic mouth and bobbed hair full of gleaming lights i was on the point of making advances and of breaking out into a dissertation when with her toes turned out she suddenly made me an adorable and extremely rapid little curtsy it was no more than a quiver going through her from head to foot her hair swayed forward and trembled and then without a word she left the room the next day i passed the medical examination in the consulting room of a suburban hospital a lazarette where refugees from kronstadt were getting rid of their vermin a very rapid examination but very thorough all contagious disease being a bar to admission even including bad breath and worms as well as any skin disease or physical deformity which might spoil the aesthetic pleasure of the other members i was accepted paid my subscription and set to work to learn the rules my anxiety increased as i read them and reflected on this phrase the least infraction of the ideal of the society or any indecency calculated to shock the feelings of the other members involves immediate expulsion without anything on then except a turquoise ring on my finger i had with my head held high to enter the recreation room where twice a week the members of the diana boon stripped themselves and passed the evening in the costume of heaven i was going to be one of them it was not enough that the proceedings were authorized by the police and considered natural for me to look at them quite in the same light certainly my apprehension diminished when i thought of my previous northern experiences the mixed sunbaths on the german shores of the baltic the swedish hydrotherapic establishments in which one is delivered over to soft feminine hands which seem to be almost worn away by soap and russian bathing parties where i had seen men and women sunburnt and naked with their arms about each other's waist in the island water blue as stylographic ink all the same the thought of finding myself suddenly naked in the midst of women and girls was disturbing i half opened the door again in the gallery with its decoration of flags gilded palms and snakes in glass bottles a third man had joined the other two i looked at him he was wearing a fountain pen hung round his neck in a sheath of black chagrin but there could be no question of pants or of a handkerchief even for a neophyte the time was getting on i was evidently the last one to undress with a measured step firmly my fist clenched and a dryness in my throat i entered the hall the first thing i noticed was that one corner was set aside for refreshments and their naked families in cane armchairs were partaking of coffee and radishes the sight reminded me of those turkish bath meals one has in the cooling room a lady knitting with her work resting on her stomach seemed to me like a bad dream i heard shouts and the sound of people calling to one another the floor shook beneath the stamping of feet balls were trundling about with a noise like thunder scattering ninepins i found myself in the centre of a hall surrounded by windows obscured by pine-wood shutters treated with boat varnish as is everything in this country forty people of both sexes were amusing themselves quite a crowd of men were high-jumping leaping over a cord which could be altered two centimetres at a time a nude gentleman who looked like the king of sweden 
despoiled by a revolution, put the cord up one notch after each series. I strove to concentrate my attention on these people, and to avoid looking at the opposite sex. A gymnasium was installed at one end of the room. Solitary enthusiasts raised themselves up and down in the sawdust, or were loosening their dorsal muscles with Indian clubs. Athletic-looking boys were hurling javelins against mattresses. When resting, they rinsed out their mouths with ice water, spitting it out on the floor at some distance from them. Elderly ladies, as though the victims of some penitentiary system, were accomplishing hexagonal shuffles of triangular jumps reminiscent of hopscotch. The sound of rings striking together attracted my attention. I lifted my eyes, which up to this moment I had kept religiously lowered like a nun, and I saw, suspended in the air, a curious bundle made of intertwined limbs with which pointed elbows and rounded knees were protruding. Then the body turned. Below the backbone there came a fleeting glimpse of bare pink leg, hoisted into view by the power of the wrists, a sudden effort on the part of the neck, and there emerged a head framed in fair coppery hair, tied behind with a big bow of black moiré ribbon. The vision smiled, and I recognized the stenographer of Dr. Volpius, the girl who had handed me my certificate. She remained like this on the rings, frog-like, idle, supple, completely at ease, smiling at me with her fresh, irregular face of the northern sprite. I felt a prickling sensation running under the roots of my hair. The young girl's head sank again towards the ground, and her arms spread out at right angles, stretched to their full extent. Round this, as axis, the whole body circled and came slowly upright. The legs in their turn closed, described a quarter circle, and came to rest on the floor. She stood there before me, the most beautiful figure of a young girl that could possibly be imagined. My eyes dared not leave her face. She smiled at me again and greeted me. I felt her breath on my arms. I suddenly cut the interview short, and, turning my back on her brusquely, dashed to the high-jump apparatus at which some of the men were still exercising themselves, took her on, and leapt up on the springboard in a sort of religious fervor. My foot caught in the cord, and I measured my length on the ground. I got up with my nose grazed and my hands all torn, but with a feeling of satisfaction. I felt the urgent necessity of taking strenuous and continued exercise and of not allowing my eyes to wander towards where the girl stood. What eyes she had! I hurled myself at the trapeze. I took the parallel bars in a stride. How sweet! How inviting the corners of her mouth! I lifted a pair of forty-pound dumbbells. What a perfect bosom! I carried out a rapid series of leaps, one after the other, rising in the general estimation by my Aryan energy. Panting out of training, perspiring at every pore, I was forced at length to stop, but she was still before me, an Eve with bobbed hair, before the fall, without shyness or shame, stretching out to me a pair of arms not spoiled by knotted biceps and triceps, but covered like those of a swimmer with long rippling muscles which were hardly discernible. I was quite out of breath. My name is Aino, she said, speaking in German. My parents beg that you will take a glass of tea with them. I followed her. Her father, a fat man with a sort of pelt which blurred his silhouette, asked me very politely to sit down. He was manager of the Bolkita Heritas Assurance Company. Her younger brother was exercising the muscles of his fingers with spring dumbbells. Her mother kept her ample bosom in prison between her elbows. 
She was reading Fichte, and gave me a hyacinth to smell. Her arms still retained their youth. Only her face and her stomach showed her age. I fumbled down my sides for my trouser pockets. I sneezed. You'll soon get used to going without clothes, she said. We always do at home. In the summer we sometimes take our clothes off and go and gather strawberries, and in the winter we always break the ice for our morning dip. For the beauty of the ancients is not dead, Monsieur, as the Lutherans would have us believe. It is always coming back, like the swallows which, according to our peasants, pass the winter at the bottom of the lakes. She turned her attention to her youngest son. If you go on biting your nails, she said, you will deform your hands, and you'll be thrown down a deep well. Everything went smoothly. I drank tea with lemon amongst these robust citizens who exuded respectability and a certain amount of prosperity. Coffee with milk, cucumbers, and acacia fritters passed to and fro on huge trays like offerings to Scandinavian gods. Aino's father took a fancy to me and showed me his stomach all furrowed as the result of an extremely rare operation. He told me that his company occasionally elected insurance against appendicitis, reinsuring with Lloyd's. He also spoke to me of the nutritive values of vegetables. I looked furtively at Aino. Whenever I caught her eye and my feelings began to get the better of me, I turned my attention hurriedly to some other less perfect body, or lowered my gaze to the deformed feet of my companions, amongst which, rather top-heavy with their heavy big heads, little naked children were disporting themselves, rolling about like lion-cubs. No longer fearing to be thought a philistine, I asked everything I wanted to know, drawing the line at nothing. The worst, it seemed to me, was over. But who was it who suddenly made us play round games? The game of cat and mouse went off quite nicely. We formed ourselves into a wide circle. The cat endeavored to catch the mouse, whose flight was impeded in every conceivable way. Great laughter and excitement. An armistice. Then the game of fox and goose began, a sort of human chain, a playful ferrandol, in which each player held on to the waist of the person in front. The fox tried to catch the goose, and the living chain writhed, broke, and joined up again, trying to protect the prey from the hunter. I know was behind me. Her fingers seemed to burn their way into my hips like red-hot irons. Laughingly, she begged me not to fall back. I avoided contact with her, but in doing so I anchored myself more firmly to a steady girl in front, fair, ugly, and as solid as a bridge-pile, who bent her legs in order to lower her center of gravity, and to withstand the jars better conscientiously enthusiastic, she abandoned herself entirely to the game, the angle made by her body protruding towards me, cracking beneath the effort. The recoiling movement which her attitude forced me in my turn to adopt pressed Aino against me. At one moment, in which the struggle became particularly tense, I felt her arms go round my waist, and her whole body press against mine. Her legs took an intolerable purchase against me, and her panting bosom was crushed against my back. I shut my eyes and felt an indescribable embarrassment come over me. In it an outrageous feeling of shame mingled with a pleasant feeling of numbness which made me want to stay just like that forever. But at every moment the chain was on the point of breaking under the violence of the game. Suddenly I let go my hold, and at the same time tore myself away from Aino. I leapt impetuously from the crowd without daring to look behind me, bound it to the top of the stairs, and made a dash for the cloakroom, where I shut myself in. 
in the street a sharp icy blast like a charge of salt from a rifle cut my cheeks and i felt as light as a bird and as though i was charged with electricity two days later i met Ino in a confectioner's shop don't you recognize me she asked very nearly if you are Ino, you've got beauty spots on your left shoulder in your right breast but it is so difficult to tell in all those clothes why do you wear your hair like that nothing is more beautiful than a man who shaves his head every day don't you carry your private diary round your neck on a chain what method do you employ for throwing the hammer do you always stoop like that when you walk when i pressed her to dine with me or to meet me somewhere she said to-morrow i will come and fetch you with my side-car we will go and spend midsummer day at g bring a bag with you we passed through the town bouncing up and down on every unevenness in the road and threading our way with difficulty on the aid of the klaxon pedestrians all made way for us hurriedly when our progress over the cobbled road was blocked by trams we swerved into the sidewalk brushing past the effete and worn-out cabs painted in brilliant hues and crushed beneath the weight of their cabmen in astrakhan caps from beneath the oaks of the troikas the ponies cast a fiery eye at us through their tangled forelocks we swept past curious buildings the high courts of justice the police courts greek temples dating from the earliest days of the russian occupation the offices of german shipping companies with bearded statues of their agents naked to the waist masquerading as caryatides street sellers buffeted by the winds were selling all kinds of birchwood articles bags bicycles even beds in the shops trade was being carried on in foreign goods tinned tongues and safety razors each fastened with yellow ribbons to a portrait of general crab but the chief object in the shop windows was our own reflection it swept along getting itself confused with the goods inside and absorbing them by transparency there i was in that little varnished crimson coffin out of which peered my hatless head and streaming eyes and there beneath my cramped legs was a wheel to which our speed gave the appearance of being oval above this uninspiring reflection of myself appeared that of Ino in green stockinette with american cloth boots coming right up to her hips strained back by the wind her short hair full of soft bewitching lights took the edge from the sombre and forbidding mask of the wire goggles which covered the upper part of her face like a snout beneath this appeared her thick young confident mouth Ino gave her whole mind to driving the side-car unconscious of the fetid smell of the oil and the noise of misfiring cylinders cutting off the engine and my breath at the same time whenever we came to crossroads but more often altering direction by the mere application of the brakes throwing an occasional glance between her legs at the exhaust or a smile at me beneath her elbow there were no suburbs the open country began suddenly at the foot of a five-storied building in the distance a few clouds lay on the road before us like carpets above the clear water of the lakes the sky was so bright that the gulls looked almost like crows dotted about the country were occasional wood pulp works above which rose the posts of wireless telegraph stations we passed through well-cared-for stadiums erected in clearings in the pine woods athletes were busy getting themselves into training there we flew along the ragged ribbon which could hardly be dignified by the name of road i hunched myself up straightened up my legs and supported myself on my hands to minimize the bumping Ino laughed joyously in the more violent jerks which almost shot me out of the box enraptured her she kept up my spirits with words that were swept away by the wind a little further on nothing was left but endless white birches 
black-edged as though they were in mourning their monotony broken every now and then by pools bordered by willows with their twisted gouty trunks and in which half-submerged tree-trunks were floating towards the sawmills what visions of safety matches a month earlier i had left the champs Elysees, where the trees were already beginning to cast shadows they were tidying up the ambassadors and the oriflammes of the salon were in flower burnished by tires the asphalt flowed like a deep river toward the place de la concorde i missed all those things these henless birches i would have given the world for one chestnut tree at dresden the lilac had flowered and the world was beginning to turn green in sweden they were removing the ice beams from the ships and thinking of launching their yachts but here there were as yet only tiny leaves on the trees it was as though the moving picture of spring was being released backwards as one travelled north preceded by the clang of their bells the engines of the trains carried still more birches in their tenders but in this case only their helpless bodies cut up into fuel from their bell-mouthed smokestacks issued green and red smoke not so beautiful as the blue smoke of coal but wafting to us on the wind the acrid scented smell of essential vegetable oils which was delicious the wooden ski-jumping scaffolds laid bare by the melting of the snow poked their frames idly into the air i was happy i took ino's hand in mine and stroked her wrist tenderly with the result that she cut off the engine and we stopped dead i clasped her in my arms she rose on her pedals pushed her goggles on to her forehead broke her comb and tried to tidy her hair with her fingers french women don't do that do they i had a girlfriend once who was french her head was so big that she was always toppling over her hands couldn't hold things something was always falling from her like fruit from a tree a glove a bag or something whenever she moved my friends i replied peeped order their dresses by telephone wash themselves on the floor and never have stomach aches but not one of them possess your lack of eloquence your tanned skin or that body of yours which slid in and out of those rings like a cashmere scarf through a wedding ring and then so that she should not get off scot-free but to me your sisters were always soap-eaters who worship idols with the heads of crows g consisted of a dark red wooden house built on granite blocks only the window and door frames were white on the door someone had scratched russian characters our two rooms were next to each other so exactly alike with their yellow curtains their soft birch furniture their monumental white china stoves their double windows between which hyacinths were growing that i was soon unable to distinguish her room from mine everything was so clean that one did not even know where to put cigarette ash we are going to have cold supper and then we will go to bed she said already wouldn't it be better to wait till dinner time she smiled i looked at my watch it was eleven o'clock the table was loaded like a fisherman's net with all kinds of fish salmon trout curled round in rings herrings anchovies tied by the tail in bunches of six but there was nothing to drink but milk and unfermented beer surreptitiously i produced a bottle of norwegian brandy Ino clapped her hands drew the cork with a hairpin and sneezed with pleasure filling two glasses to the brim she gave me one and took the other herself placing herself in a position of defence she clicked her heels and her tongue and paid me the immediate compliment of an empty glass which she turned to me bottom first with a few conventional words which i did not hear she had taken off her boots and put on a house smock decorated with peasant embroidery 
a necklace of vegetable ivory swayed round her like a second row of teeth we ate silently like a couple of english people Aino's cheeks were brilliant without any artificiality like all scandinavian faces into which coursing blood puts a colour which fresh air or the most fleeting glance will immediately heighten a second bottle added its eloquence to the first our heads began to buzz the laws exact temperance but the foreigner who comes to a meal provided with a couple of bottles of benedictine is much esteemed the flavour of the fish is brought out if one drinks it in bumpers as someone once said to me real success never cost more than this adding that at the same time it was a lot to pay for it my bag turned out to be a small cellar i made various ingenious and potent cocktails the corpse reviver which i had from the barman of the grand hotel in stockholm and the bosom caresser which i learnt in denmark i know submitted to them artlessly contentedly and with a cold detachment that quelled my impulse to beg her to take her smock off she wandered round the table plate in hand composing symphonies in fish trailing her feet across the floor with her winter habit of wearing snowshoes as she passed by me i told her passionately how much i wanted to kiss her nostrils she let me do it submissively her skin smelt of tar and caustic soda i took her head between my hands and examined her features she was mongol in type with a flat nose and deep-set eyes which make so many women of her race look like pink-cheeked chinese in my stupid western way i asked her what will your people say it's midsummer day they will think i have stayed the night at g i was touched by the frank straightforwardness the primitive honesty of these people at all those things by which for so long we have dreamed of replacing our own pretenses our sordid lies our feeble excuses like night in this country hypocrisy practically did not exist one bathed in candour and in the midnight sun i know i said your skin is always fresh and cool you never take a cruel pleasure in distrusting me you don't ask for the moon you have no back hair and you are quite guileless my friends in paris would say she is just a splendid washerwoman you're a girl and yet you're not a doll when other women are worn out you are as fresh as ever you stand so upright you don't turn your feet over when you walk and you don't wear the carpet out in front of your mirror i like frenchmen because they never leave a woman alone in my country women are quite easy to get on with if you take them out in the afternoon amuse them in the evening fondle them at night and don't bother them in the morning but not one of our fair-haired women is really fair not with the fairness of you you're being disloyal to your own countrywomen i love things like sunburn bruises grazed knees the marks of kisses sunstroke and skin that preserves its whiteness at the roots of the hair all that you are your modesty your steadiness your ringless fingers you see i've passed the age when a man imagines that women only give way to one man himself i was holding her hand a large red hand content in the knowledge that i had already seen Ino naked and certain in my own mind that no misapprehension was possible between us that there could be no question of drawing back i ought to know whither i was bound how unreal all that mass of sham to which i had been accustomed seemed to me now from the bombast of dresses in the intriguing mechanism of veils and shaded corners to the chemise to which they cling as though it were a stage property without which their conjuring tricks would fall flat Aino began to give me a list of all the animals in her country, 
all the creatures which live amongst the islands and in the lakes which are so like each other that one might almost think that the ones had been built of earth dug out of the others the penguins on the dun-coloured cliffs lined up like bottles in a chemist shop the sleek-looking beavers the eagle owls in their white woolly coats the seals like well-greased pieces of ordnance the brown bears sharpening their claws on the trees fringing the arctic wastes the humped reindeer amongst the granite rocks all the splendours of the frost the pomps of the thaw the magic of summer have you got any whisky asked Ino. i love whisky and if i can't get that dentifrice because they make me feel as if i were at sea i suddenly realised that she was drunk but she did not make a noise or bite pieces out of her glass or take her shoes off under the table she just sat there chewing large tasteless watery jerkins then she wiped her mouth on a paper napkin and kissed me on the mouth calling me poopshin there it was she had reached that happy state when polish girls tell of the jewels they have stolen german ones try to imitate poetry when spaniards object to such and such a kiss because lips are made to receive holy communion and american girls ask for money i tried to take Ino in my arms she made an effort to get up collapsed slid off her chair and remarking i am not fell to the floor where she lay with her arms out i carried her to her bed she was breathing heavily her clothes fell apart like the husk of a fruit and once more my eyes fell on her bosom firmly held to her shoulders by muscles hardened by rowing i put a cold water bandage on her head her legs were open and full of shadows no she said she forced open her eyes closed like those of a newborn kitten sat up and said she wanted to be sick frost-rhymed stars were already coming out in the sky the accordion seemed to catch its breath every now and then and wiggle like a bisected worm i know and i kept in the bows of the ferry-boat we could hear other couples laughing together or was it the cries of the seagulls when we were still less than half-way to the island fragments of sentences began to come to us across the water the tops of the pines were beginning to turn a deep purple i know it slept until midday only getting up once to drink half a gallon of water she fumbled in my pockets i threatened to throw overboard a flask of napoleon brandy which she found there she raised her clear innocent eyes to me her only reply was to butt me in the stomach like a goat i was still vexed that protected by her stupor she had escaped me the night before her silence now was like the mute reproaches of natives him wicked pale-face him bring fire-water i felt some sort of explanation was needed my country is the country of wine of temperance of sociability one must never quarrel on midsummer night she said interrupting me the sun disappeared like a section of beetroot through the bars made by the trunk trees the ferry-boat arrived at the landing-stage and her two anchors rattled down from her prow it was midnight a strange hour began orange-tinted and streaked with red columns of mist rose above the water we followed the path which seemed least littered with fish-bones paper and torn underclothing the whole island was illuminated by bonfires lit by enormous blocks of granite other fires were floating on the water let's stop here near that spring said Ino. it goes so well with the view these bonfires are supposed to incite the sun to return by force of example the stones are merely sexual symbols i like you much better when you call me bubchin i said peevishly 
and the shadows couples were hugging each other on the ground silently unconscious of our presence utterly cut off from their surroundings we stepped over their bodies everywhere noisy games were in progress accompanied by songs and the report of firearms beneath the mountain ashes young girls were foretelling their future from split ears of corn the smell of roasting pine needles and baking cakes came up to us people were jumping into the bonfires with arms and legs outstretched uttering their wishes out loud in the middle of the flames fantastic shadows strewed the ground and flickered round the fires i begged ino to talk to me about herself she was studious by nature she said but she admitted that she was fanciful the year before she had been appointed secretary to the northern territorial commission and had come into close touch with the bolsheviks she had a uniform with gold piping made for herself in stockholm and a cocked hat trimmed with vultures feathers which she wore on the day the treaty was signed feeling a sudden looseness round her waist she found that while she was talking i had undone her dress i whispered things to her full of hidden meanings i never go about naked except with my family said Ino. we sat down in the middle of a clearing in the wood amongst cows which lay on the ground and smelt of whey all around us rose the tender sighs with which women sought to excite their large-limbed lethargic swains with a hoarse cry someone stepped into a concealed gully and there was a sound of bones cracking like dead wood what are you thinking about asked Ino. the simple grandeur of these saturnalia stirs up my lustful lying and inquisitive french soul i know the new york parks which during the hot nights in august remain open to the public in the damp warmth workmen in their shirt-sleeves lie down with irish girls on the grass-plots which look like cemeteries in the gloom now and again a neapolitan mechanic half remembers his forgotten tenor voice the slavs gather together and sing choruses in hyde park in the winter lovers stay with their lips locked amongst the sheep swathed to their shoulders in mist heedless of the clamourings of the salvation army with no thought of sitting down enthralled in each other in madrid in the recoletos behind the motor-cars drawn up before the ritz muleteers in black velvet fumble amongst the cambric petticoats of the girl hawkers in tahiti the women swim in a damp herd to the boats as they come in and clamour on board in paris and the moats of the fortifications young couples with their hair all frizzed up Ino clasped her hands tightly round my neck you are nothing but a cosmopolitan swine she said i took her into my arms and she stayed there for the remainder of the night that is to say hardly ten minutes for the sun after a hurried dip was beginning to clamber back over the horizon end of the baltic night by paul morand